0: from a passion project perspective, jumping into it, even if it's uncomfortable, it is helping you write a narrative for your life that you're gonna be really proud of. And I think that's what came into play with the 50 year old women who were like shaking me and saying, do it, move to New York, is because they arrived at a point in their lives where they were like, I, you know, I've made a pleasant life, but what what story have I written with it? I wished I had done a lot more. So I'm really glad to not have those regrets. <laughs>
1: Have you ever thought to yourself, especially when you were younger, I'd like to go live in a really unique place for a year. Maybe it's London, Rome, Singapore, or New York. Our guests in this episode did just that. In 2008, Tori Leggett, one of our friends, she packed up all she had. She put down all her money to rent an apartment in New York City. Also note that it was 2008, a very unique time to move to New York for a year and find a new job. At this point in our podcast journey, the Ryans and I are talking to guests about passion projects and this is a unique one spending a year in one of the biggest cities in the world at let's just say not the best time in history we'll get to more of that in a bit but in this episode you'll get to hear about tori's experience and a lot of lifetime lessons she learned from it hey everyone welcome to this episode of the show that doesn't have a name yet the J cast oh the we, uh, no, we have not come up with a name. Um, this is, I believe, our fourth episode, and we are very lucky to have our very good friend for a long time,
2: Tori Leggett! Yo! Toria Caroline Leggett.
0: Hello there.
2: Yep. Leggett. <laughs> hey, Tor.
0: Hey. Hey, guys.
3: How's it going?
1: Welcome to, welcome to this podcast. Um, just before we we uh, started, we were kind of talking before you actually jumped on the call. We were talking about the things that we like about you and the things that we appreciate about you. And one of the th- one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you is primarily your experience um, as with having a passion project in New York several years ago. Um, we want to kind of dive into like what led that, um, what that has kind of done for you since uh, that time and just kind of like your learnings and experiences from that. But there's just a lot of things, even though that's something we really appreciate about you, because um, I've also mentioned that a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people in my life say, I wish I could just like spend a year in New York. And you are one of the people that actually did that. Like, I know I've said that in my life and I didn't do it and I probably won't ever do it, but you did. And so that is one of the things that I think is just really cool is that you did something that a lot of people have said um, they want to do and you went out and did it. Yeah. So good work. Thank you. Great
2: job Tori. Yeah.
0: Thanks you guys. Yeah, Thanks so much. All right,
2: that's the show. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>
0: it's been yeah. great being
2: here. I just yeah. wanted to like introduce Tori. So, so Tori works at a company that helps people with their kind of passion projects in a weird way, uh, glue and has, is consistently working on big accounts and helping those big accounts realize all of their kind of crazy ideas, which is, um, really tough to do especially year after year after year um you know because because big accounts have really crazy big ideas and don't like it when those crazy big ideas don't happen so um first of all we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about there um and then a few years ago tori was a what was the actual role tori at tech stars that you had what, would, what was the title it was kind of like a, a mini mentor but yeah, when you were helping
0: advisor out. I would say advisor
2: mm-hmm. to some other entrepreneurs starting their dreams in kind of an incubator context. And then I've gotten a chance to work with Tori for a really long time and be friends with her for even longer. And one of the things that happens all the time, and, and this is no joke, consistently for, you know, 19 years, I've had people say Tori is one of the funniest people I've ever known. Tori is one mm-hmm. of the best people with other people like just changing the dynamics of a group of people hanging out together that making it funnier making it more warm making it fruitful and like intentional um and just that there's the the number of times people comment on what an amazing friend what an amazing social just contributor in general Tori is 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 honestly I could sit here and write out names for probably the next hour of people that have said that to me and it's from all sorts of age groups um, it's from all sorts of different life contexts and stuff. And so just like Tori is one of the most amazing people that I know. And one of the best friends that I know.
0: Thank you. Finn also got to work with me. I'm not sure his name would appear on that list. You would write out though, but he did get to work with me.
2: <laughs> no comment. I'm not going to comment on who's on. the list. And she's a huge pain in the
1: ass. I'd like to add.
0: <laughs> Yes. Jake, what would you like to add about me?
1: What is the character that I feel like I always compare you to? <laughs> um, I like this. I like thinking of the steezy. answer. Sneezy. Uh, oh my gosh, what <laughs> is her Picard name?
2: from Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: <laughs> no, the character, the writer on, um, oh she's a famous actress and she's hilarious. That's the person I think of. Amy Poehler. Nope, close. close. Getting- Aubrey getting Plaza. Liz Lemon, yeah. yes, yeah, but not
0: Liz Leonard. Lemon so much as what's her
1: Faye. name? Faye. All right.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
3: It's actually a Tina Fey. She fashions herself after Tori, actually.
0: That's right. I
3: read
2: that. Wait, so Tina Fey or Liz Lemon? Well, I would say more
1: Tina... I mean, I don't really know Tina Fey, but I don't know Tina Fey. I'll just go with Tina Fey. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyway, thank you.
3: What Tori was... What what people don't know, actually, was that what Tori was doing in New York was mentoring Tina Fey.
1: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kind of helped her get her started. Great. So, Tori, we've talked you up a little bit. Um, can you maybe tell us just a little bit, a little background of kind of like what you do now and kind of how you would define yourself maybe in a professional capacity, and then we can kind of get into that backstory of New York.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, how Ryan described it was, was accurate. So I work with, um, our enterprise accounts. So I work for a software company, um, and work with our big accounts, um, making sure that they get just whatever value they can get from us. So it looks like a lot of different things, um, helping them solve those problems. So I've worked with the same um, big account for about five years and they've partnered with um, another organization that that would have been seen as a competitor of theirs um, to try to uh, mm-hmm. achieve an outcome together, which has been a really cool project for the last year or so. Um, Otherwise, professionally, I have jumped all over the place, which is part of kind of the New York story. Um,
1: Before we go there, yeah. can you can you talk about those two accounts? Can you mention those?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I work with uh, Crew, which was former formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. So that's the account um, I've had for the last five ish years. Um, and recently, they partnered with Intervarsity, um, who is also in the campus ministry space. They're they're trying to work together with all campus ministry organizations, churches that are serving campuses, individuals that are interested in serving um, college students and campuses, um, and trying to bring them all together, pooling their resources, pooling their brands, pooling their clout, um, so that they can see uh, a college ministry on every campus in the US.
1: Let's get back to um, New York. So as you know, this this podcast is really a passion project um you know of us three of mine if you want to say that and I do so we're trying to learn how to how to actually create a podcast that's like meaningful to people uh that focuses on podcasts so it's a very or sorry on passion projects so passion project podcasts about passion projects so it's very meta Mm. and that's why we want to chat with you about this passion project um that you did in New York so yeah Walk us through, if you could step back, like what was that year like um, and how did it get started and and why did you do it?
0: Yeah, Um, so when I decided to move there, I I was living in Seattle at the time. I had moved to Seattle with a friend um, at the end of college and I moved there without a place to live or a job and everything worked out perfectly. (laughs) Um, I found a job that was really interesting and I got to learn a ton there. Um, we met an incredible group of friends, found a perfect place to live. It was just a great couple years. So I felt like I'm bulletproof. I can go do this anywhere I want and everything's going to be amazing. So, um,
1: so, wait, hold back. You're talking yeah. about when you wouldn't move to Seattle.
0: When I moved to Seattle, yeah. Okay. But so that just kind of gave me the confidence of like, oh, I think I could move anywhere without a job and right. it would go great. Um, right. So I knew I didn't want to be in Seattle for, um, ever. I I had just kind of wanted to try out that, that city. Um, and I started, I heard three different people talk about trips to New York, um, within a couple weeks. And so I sort of was just like, I think I'd like to live in New York at some point. This is probably the easiest time to do that. It's, that's one of those kind of inaccessible places down the road. And so, um, I started kind of trying it on. I started telling people I was going to move to New York <laughs> and seeing uh, sort of how they responded. And everyone was like, cool. So um, yeah, which is which is the way I find I make decisions is I just kind of step into it. So that's what New York started as. Um, one thing that was really interesting, actually early on when I started telling people like, yeah, I think next year I'm going to move to New York. Um, women who were in their like 40s, 50s, would like take me by the shoulders and say like, good for you.
4: This is a good <laughs> thing to
0: be doing. And it just kept happening over and over, which is such a, I think such a thing about passion projects. Like people, everyone has ideas of stuff that they wanna do and they don't end up doing it and then they they regret it when they no longer can. So yeah. that was actually really cool confirmation of like, no matter how hard this is, I should do this. Cause I don't wanna be the 50 year old woman who's like, go do it. I wish I had done it. Um, so that was a, just a funny thing that kept happening. Um, yeah. So then I moved to New York. I quit I quit my job in June in Seattle so that I could have the summer off, which was really a smart thing to do. And then um, I moved to New York. It's not smart. It wasn't smart. That was sarcasm. Yeah.
2: You probably
1: weren't out of college for that long. And so you're probably just like oh, tired of working in during the summer.
0: Well, for real,
1: no, three years.
0: So I had only had one summer where I worked and I kept being like, we're just going to, we're all just going to keep showing up, not taking a single, <laughs> single couple months off. Um, so that was our transition. Um, yeah. So that, that was my second summer that I decided to take off so I could really enjoy Seattle. Um, so I hadn't been earning money for a while
3: because I don't know if it was well caught in the recording. Can you just say again at what point you moved to New York?
0: Yeah, it was um it was the fall of 2008.
3: Wow, Something like a really nice time. It was like
0: Yeah, just like a good time. I had been working in finance uh fi- with financial advisors, so it was like a cool time for the finance yeah. industry. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Lots of job opportunities, I think.
0: Just Jake, thanks for saying that. There were a ton of jobs. <laughs> yeah. I was turning down jobs left and right.
2: If if one were to move straight to Wall Street, you'd think that they'd find a ton of jobs.
0: Yeah, the great thing was I found a sleepy little part of town called the Financial District. (laughs) I, uh, in order to get an apartment there, actually, because you know I didn't have a job, um, I had to prepay for the whole year. So (laughs) I wrote a check for almost the entire amount that I had in my account. In a, in a cashier's check and then I walked across the street to to turn it in I was terrified
2: and, yeah do wait talk, talk about that moment when you you've got a check for all of your money yeah That's that is I know New York's cheap to live in but still a whole year is quite a quite a number
0: <laughs> yeah. what
2: I mean, what was that like you're committing to this year for sure at that point
0: right which I hadn't known I was gonna have to do when I got there I mean I was like pretty committed because all my stuff was on a truck Barreling toward New York, but um, yeah, writing a check for all the money I had was a thing.
1: Maybe we should just stop for a second for the maybe the Z generation, Mm. the millennials. We're kind of joking. There was not a lot of jobs (laughs) out there during (laughs) 2008, Um, and so that's why it was a little bit crazy. Was so you actually having to pay up front for rent? Was that like a was that a normal thing? Yeah. So in New York, something they just did. Is that something they did during the crisis?
0: In New York, you usually have to prove 50 to 100 times your monthly rent in your salary. So if your monthly rent is $2,000, you have to have um, at least $100,000 in your salary. So at that point, that wasn't gonna happen for me. And um, my rent was $2,100 a month. So um, For a 375 square foot studio apartment, So that's why I had to prepay because I I knew even once I got a job, I wasn't going to qualify for it based on my salary.
4: Right.
0: Yeah. So then I, I signed for the apartment. I didn't get it for two weeks. And so my sister lived in Connecticut at the time. So I went and stayed with them and we were sitting in her living room watching the news when we saw that Lehman brothers crashed, which was the first, um, the first one down And then Bear Stearns was like the next day. And then everyone was ringing all the bells that it was going to be really terrible. So
2: so where's your head? So you've just committed to a full year with all your life savings and now you're hanging out for two weeks till your big adventure that you just committed to starts. And then you find out there won't be any jobs for you. Yeah, where are you at mentally at this moment around this passionate decision to go to New York that all these ladies said do it, do it, do
0: it. and which my dad was like I don't get it <laughs> why are you doing this um so that was the voice primarily in my head was my dad's um because he's a pretty thoughtful guy and he thought it was a bad idea but I had been like no way dad <laughs> this is going to work out this is all going to be great so i was more determined to be like this is going to be one heck of a year because i'm not going to be proven wrong um so i was freaked out but also like everything's going to be fine right i'm an idiot i'm, <laughs> I'm 22 i don't know what's going to happen um so i didn't know to freak out as much as i probably should have so
3: but you still kind of had i mean i guess you had some hopes at that point that like still there would be like some jobs right like Definitely, maybe yeah. at least to like be an au pair or i don't know you know work part-time at a tj maxx or something right like you were sure. like i will be i can find gainful employment i'm a college graduate
0: yeah, of course. Right. Sure. Yeah. When I was moving there. So I had worked for a big financial advising firm and the people in my office had said like, do you want us to connect you to the New York office? And I was like, uh, thanks, but no, I'm going to do something more interesting in New York than like work at this same <laughs> stable company. So, um, I thought I've
2: I watched sex play. in the city. I know there's interesting stuff there.
0: There's a there's <laughs> stuff. I thought I was going to get something really cool and that I had as a backup this financial advising firm. Um, which so the backup was definitely out what I didn't understand is that all the cool stuff was out too because there were 125,000 people in the city who became unemployed within the first month that I. Met.
2: wait what about the lead in phantom of the opera that wasn't still out there as well it
0: was um okay. and I auditioned so.
2: oh okay yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. You- I'm sure sh- no you must have turned it down you're probably remembering that incorrectly I guess hold them into statuses but like so you weren't like really didn't know I, I'm assuming kind of like you know the, like Ryan and Ryan and myself like we had never been through a financial crisis so we didn't actually know what that right you know we're like oh that affects people I guess so was it just like wow this is amazing or was it like wow this is this is not that great
0: the first couple of weeks were amazing because I was like in New York you I mean you really do feel like an energy there there's all kinds of stuff totally. going on the news is all talking about Wall Street and I was like literal blocks away from Wall Street so that all just felt cool to me yeah um i've always i think i've i cities have always seemed like exciting to me a lot of stuff going on is is a good scene for me so i was just happy to be there for a while and getting to know my area i was so bright eyed and optimistic um but it was later when i started applying for like hundreds of jobs and not hearing back from anyone that that sort of started to set in that it was going to be really hard to find a job.
2: Like when when a person pursues something passionate, right? Like I'm going to go live in New York for a year, I'm going to start a podcast. You know, some of the things that block us from taking those on are fears of all of the worst-case scenarios, right? And yeah. here you are moving to New York. And then on some level, the worst case scenario unfolds, you know, your, your dad saying it's a bad idea. I mean, literally he didn't even think about it being this bad of an idea right, probably. Right. So I think that's really just interesting to put a, a, you know, if we're making a bulletin board of this conversation, like, let's put a thumbtack in that, that he yeah. got off to a bad start.
0: <laughs> and, and sort of, I'm glad I didn't know how bad because I would have, probably decided not to do it and thought this is near impossible, I won't get work. Um, you know, which ended up being sort of true, but I'm still glad I did it because it, it's still true that that was the easiest time for me to be there and um, so yeah, it was kind of nice that I was already committed. The other thing too about paying for the apartment is like no one could say like you should actually just go somewhere else. I was in, which I think really worked for me. Um, I had to stay there and make the most of it or or waste the money so. I was committed.
2: So what would you say was like the, was the lowest point still to come or was the lowest, have we already hit the lowest point? No, no. no,
0: The lowest point was to come. (laughs) So the, um, I remember I was applying for, I, so I, I kept like going down in the types of jobs I was applying for. So I was starting with like hedge funds and things in entertainment and like photography, um, and just, I didn't have any experience in that stuff, so of course I didn't get any callbacks. Because the other thing in New York you, City is you're competing with the best of the best in all of those fields, which I didn't really understand.
1: Do you remember the first job you applied for? You were like, oh yeah, I'll get this one.
0: I, I don't I'll remember the shot. first one, but I remember the low point one, <laughs> which was there was a post for um, a nanny position. So I was an uh, elementary ed major in college. Um, I was I had just gotten well, two years earlier, I had done student teaching with kindergartners. I'm like, I love kids. I think I'd be great at being a nanny, but I wasn't really interested in being a nanny at this point. But I got to the point where that's what I was applying for. And the post said, like, um, it's, a, it's a bonus if you speak English, right? So I'm like, not only do I speak English,
4: it's my first <laughs> well, that's language. All I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was an Ed major. I lived down the street from you, so um, the post was for a family who lived in Tribeca. I was like 20 blocks away um, where I lived, and so I, you know, I'm like, at least I'm going to get this job. Um, so I write a cover letter that's super personable about how I work, have worked with kids, all this stuff. I don't even hear back from them, so it's like I thought I was stooping. <laughs> To a level that I was above, which was also a little silly um, to think I was above it because I had two years of professional experience. But, um, and then I didn't get a call back. So that was in December. And right after that is when I met um, a friend of a friend who I ended up working for.
2: Wait, what language did you write the cover letter and That might have been where you I <laughs> wrote
0: it in Latin just to show.
2: Oh, up. no. Oh, yeah. oh I was, yeah. man. Uh, I just want to put on the record, I think it's an interesting,
3: this was back a, a tidbit, but. The insight that being sort of pot committed on on one of these projects has a real benefit, which is that like when it gets hard, and it's going to get hard, you you have to be stuck in it somehow, you know, yeah. um, to really see it through the other side. Otherwise, definitely will bail, or you know, more more times than not will bail because it's like, well, I can, and this is hard, or this is embarrassing, or this sucks if you don't have something that's sort of like holding you to it. Yeah,
0: true.
1: And were you just counting down the days until you could leave at this point?
0: No, no. In fact, I think I was grateful that I was so committed because no matter what thoughts other people had for what I should do, it was sort of like, no, I'm here. Um, So even if people had good advice, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. Um, So that was kind of nice because it just made it easier. Like I'm going to be here. Let's just make the most of it.
2: You, you started to say how you did get a job, I think. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. So, so along the same lines as I had applied to like 400 jobs um, and never heard back. So I went to a friend of mine from high school, Ben lived in the city um, and invited me to a New Year's Eve party with his friends. And so I met one of his friends, Alex, and Alex was describing how he had just posted a position for his company and he got 800 resumes in the first day and he's like what do you even do with 800 resumes which was helpful for me to hear because I understood my resume is just landing in a pile of them for anyone who has a job posting so he was like I I can't even I don't even know how to get started I'd rather just hire you (laughs) so I had been like sort of joking in the elevator with them because I knew Ben um and so he needed someone who was like their um outward facing like meet with clients so um so yeah so he said um so i went in on january 2nd for an interview with him and started uh, that same day so that's how i finally got a job
2: wow. yeah so it feels like i mean this is i think this is just an interesting point is you you went to new york you went to seattle with people you knew and fell into some solutions you moved to new york thinking it'll go just as smoothly and so you reject a connection point from someone in seattle from your previous business you go through months of trying to do it on your own and then you essentially end up getting a job through another connection point. Is there like a is there like a lesson in networking or a lesson in letting people help you or something that came out of all that?
0: Yeah. I mean, at the time, I don't think I put that together, but now I feel grateful that I had that experience of three months of not being employed because I had just fallen into a great job right out of college. And so I was sort of like, yeah, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a college graduate, of course, I'm gonna have a great job. And I didn't appreciate what they were building into me, what opportunities they gave me at at that first job. Um, But being unemployed really made me like appreciate having a job is a really big thing that someone's going to offer to pay you a ton of money to represent their company, um, to show up to people to make decisions on their behalf. So I think I appreciated it more, but not at the time. Um, I didn't really have that, that full view at the time.
2: I just had a mentor one time tell me that he he said, you know, you're trying to get downtown and you're only letting people engage with you in the question of like, Hey, where's the bus stop? Instead of talking to them about where you're trying to get, like you're trying to get downtown. Oh, I'm driving downtown right now. want to hop in and that, you know, like letting people engage in the big idea of what you're trying to do. Um can invite and and then and then being willing to let them help you can actually s- speed up the the success of the project,
0: yeah, well, or, and or I would that. say i so I've never in my life, I've been working since the day I turned fourteen and it was legal. Um, I have never in my life gotten a job that I just applied for cold i've I've only ever gotten jobs through knowing people. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like my mom when I was young or or I think actually when I was leaving for college. Um, said, and I don't know if she because she knew this was my personality. it's not her personality as much, but she said, just say yes to anyone who invites you anywhere. when you're trying to like meet new people and make connections, go go to, to anything anyone invites you to, because even if you don't end up being like great friends with that person, you'll meet all the people around them too. um which is definitely that's benefited me my whole career. So that was like saying yes to the New Year's Eve party with Ben even though I didn't know anyone, a lot of people would have been intimidated by that. Um, but that's what ended up getting me a job. It wasn't a strategy to land a job, but saying right. yes to things, yeah, it usually well, leads to other things. One
1: thing I do remember about that time, cause I was working at Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Denver at the time uh-huh. um, while in grad school. And I just remember, you know, you know, guys in suits that look like they're coming from, you know, like a big office building come to drop off their their resume and even looking at the resume being like, what, why are you applying here? And I just remember one guy in particular, it was just, it kind of hit me. It was like, wow, you are so lucky to have this job at this restaurant. Like, because so many people that are way overqualified for this job want your job. right? And it was like, it just was, man, that was a tough time. It was, it was just, it was also so
0: good to to understand the appreciation of of being employed. yeah. Yeah. I'm sometimes frustrated now with when we have really young employees working at our company. It's like this incredible company to get into and learn from, but they don't have experiences outside of that. And so they kind of get caught up in what's hard about it. And I'm like, I really just want you to go work somewhere else for a little bit and then come back so you can appreciate how much people are pouring into you, how fortunate you are to have a job like that you can do remotely now. I think there are a lot of parallels to the, the coronavirus season that we're in um, and now it's like I hope people understand I hope I understand how fortunate I am we all are to and, be employed and be able to work from home and all of that.
1: And doesn't your office have snacks like M&Ms and all?
0: We, we have so many snacks. Oh, I see.
1: Hashtag blessed.
0: We're all just
2: going yeah. stale though while everyone works oh, from yeah. home. So
1: that's that's right. a, it's a tragedy. Right. So what did you do? What was the job?
0: Yeah, so uh, I ended up working for a custom men's dress shirt company
4: (laughs) Um, and had to
0: become an expert in menswear. (laughs) My mom called that job measuring men's chests, (laughs) which was actually sort of accurate. Were you good at it? Measuring men's chests. Yeah. Yeah, I was really good at it. Best in the city. Best in the city. Nothing
2: but um, how would you lend your expertise to all of our uh menswear current at this moment well, which you can two of say.
0: you on this call have purchased shirts from that company so
2: that's true oh. Big,
1: oh, I I guess. well nobody we? i mean do i have a big enough chest for it
0: i guess not <laughs> the right size chest yeah.
2: <laughs> can you measure your chest with your yeah. eyes now yeah i chest? can't
0: over zoom i measure chests okay. yeah that's that's how much experience I got in that nine months that See? I worked in that job. It's
1: worthwhile. Go back to it. <laughs> and did you hate it? Did you love it? Was it just was it just a good job, or were you just thankful to have it? And
0: no, I loved it. I mean, it turned out I loved it. I mostly I think I loved it because it was a whole new thing to learn. It was nothing like anything I studied, and it was nothing like my first job. Um, and novelty is my favorite. I love new things. So getting to learn, and I don't even really care about women's fashion. Never mind men's fashion. So, um, (laughs) but I care about it now. So I got to learn all about it. I they actually um, paid for me to take classes in image consulting um, at FIT, which was really cool. So I was with some like even the fellow students were kind of um, accomplished in their image consulting careers, which was fascinating too. So it just got me into this world that I never would have
2: gone into that was the that was the first tailored piece of clothing i owned Mm. and the experience was interesting because i i mean picking out the fabric there's these several moments where you're like whoa this is like my shirt that i'm making here so you're like letting us pick out the fabrics and i was like holy cow any of these wow but the moment that really struck me was when you went which wrist do you wear your watch on?
0: <laughs> That's right.
2: You're like, do you wear a watch, and which wrist? And I was like, wait a minute, what? That matters. We'd
0: make the wrist a little bit bigger to accommodate your watch. Yeah, and I'd say like, is it the size of like a Rolex or like a Breitling? <laughs> 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 Just to like keep it classy. And you were like, more like a Breitling. Yeah, I don't remember what you said, but <laughs> I
2: uh, have you heard of Fossil?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's the Walmart brand?
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember when I got my first fitted shirt and I was like, oh yeah, I guess this is all I'm gonna do. I can't go back. And, <laughs> that, and then
2: you- I'm only gonna wear this one shirt the rest of my <laughs> life. No, <laughs> I was
1: just like, I'm only gonna get tailored shirts. And then uh, then I had a kid and, and I just wore <laughs> t-shirts. <laughs>
0: well, the world has sort of gone the way of t-shirts. With,
1: yeah, with stains on them, so who cares? Yeah.
2: I'll be honest, I've worn more sweatpants shorts than ever in my life in the last- Combined. Months.
0: Even then college.
2: Yeah. I'm a jeans guy.
0: Yeah.
2: But my, my like day starts really early. And so sometimes I sort of like kind of flub my way into the beginning of the work day. And then there's not a chance to ever get myself situated. So just like sweatpants shorts. It's
0: true. Yeah. I tried on this dress this morning cause it was new. I got it in the mail yesterday so I just tried it on, but then I ran downstairs to like get coffee, and here I am. Here you ten- are. Yeah, still, still wearing it. What are you gonna?
1: If you'll notice, I'm wearing a collared shirt, and when I, when Maggie, out of
0: respect for me.
1: Yeah, I was just like, well, I got to be ready for, got to be look professional <laughs> right. all day.
0: I got a big podcast tonight.
1: Well, then Maggie sees me. She's like, "Why are you wearing a collared shirt?" And I was like, "I don't know. I just want to like-,
0: <laughs> like."
3: It is a <laughs> no.
1: short sleeve still. <laughs> Jake,
2: you're wearing full pants. <laughs> instead of sweatpants shirts
1: <laughs> who do you think you I, are i actually was i was wearing full pants today it was cool enough to wear full pants and i was like maybe i'll just Whoa. feel a little bit better about myself i didn't it was the same
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then maggie helped you out with that real quick
1: yeah 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 so so you became an expert in shirts and so <laughs> yeah. how how long did you actually spend in new york and like what was you know like what else kind of was a part of that journey that was significant rather than you know not just you know getting an apartment and, and working like what was yeah. What was it like living there what was it like you know getting to understand like how this crazy city that it's like unlike any other city in the world like operates and being a part of that like did you feel like you belonged was it did it feel like home i don't know just maybe walk us through the next couple of years
0: yeah um yeah good good questions actually because i think new york is unique i mean i'm sure other cities are unique in different ways um
4: nope, but new, new york, york
0: stands out from a um professional perspective people are there to like achieve in their jobs so they're you know often people move out of the city when they have kids or when they're kind of in different phases but when they're in the city it's they're there to make as much as they can of their careers Um, and it just attracts like the people who can survive there are just really high achievers Um, so unfortunately for me people worked all the time People really liked their jobs and they worked really hard at them. So, people just didn't have a lot of time to spend with me. I ended up spending a lot of the time on my own. um,
1: Did they work during the summer too?
0: I I did have to work during the
1: summer. (laughs) That sucks.
0: Which was too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the other great thing about living in New York and having any square footage, because I didn't have a lot, um, was that you get visitors. (laughs) So, I had at least, um, one or two a month, um, people came to see me. So that was really fun. Cause I got to do kind of like different slices of the city with different groups of people, which I would say actually in hindsight, I didn't know going into it, like, Hey, you should create incredible memories with the people who are meaningful to you at this point. Um, but now I appreciate that I got to spend, you know, six weeks, <laughs> With Finn in New York, um, and a weekend with with Ryan. Um, no, but that but that I got to spend that much time, like experiencing this cool city. I got to re- I got to show people around. I got to know what I thought they would like, and show them those kinds of things. Give people a cool experience um, with a lot of friends who are still important to me now. Um, who came to visit so that was a really meaningful thing that now I understand you don't get to do for your whole life because now a lot of people have kids or just don't have time to go spend a week in New York with me Um, so I'm really grateful that I got to do that
3: when I was in New York tour we spent a lot of time on photography you might remember that's true and some of the best pics I think I've ever taken were us just shooting the city yeah with my old Kodak digital camera
0: I still recommend to people because we had the genius idea of we wanted to do the Empire State Building, but I only wanted to do it once. (laughs) I didn't want to go back with everyone at camp. So we went, uh, we went like right before sunset. So we were up there. So we got to see the city in like daylight and then we got beautiful sunset pictures, but then also got to see the city from that vantage point at night, which was So good. So we were there for like an hour and a half and we got kind of three different experiences of it, which is now what I recommend to anyone who's going to New York.
2: Mm. One thing that I remember that was kind of a funny to that time period was you had the original iPhone, which didn't have applications. Didn't have, you couldn't download music onto the phone directly. And I think you had service problems all the time in New York,
0: Yes.
2: which I just think is, boy,
0: because I'm, I'm an adopter.
2: how far are the iPhone's coming, I guess. Yeah. I just started looking at my pictures
3: from, uh, well, scrolling back to that time so I could take pictures, so I could see the pictures that we took, and I ran into this guy. Oh,
2: boy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till we post this one to YouTube. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy! Tor, whoa! That was Jake. I thought that was Paul Gasol. Uh, should be the icon for the show. That is Paul well, Gasol,
1: and Pau Gasol looks nothing like me. And I'm sure <laughs> we don't have rights to that image, so get it out of here.
2: Get <laughs> uh, Finn got rights to it right before that. I oh. uh, Tor, so you're you're approaching, so you're approaching the end of your 12 month, prepaid paid time in New York. I'm kind of curious where your head's at. You're, are you feeling like I've I've covered it? I'm ready to get out of here. Are you feeling like I've mastered New York. I've made it in the menswear industry. I've, you know, figured it out. Or are you thinking, Oh my gosh, this has been exhausting. I'm ready to get out of here. Like, I just, I'm curious where your head's at as you're approaching the end of the 12 months prepaid.
0: Yeah. That's a good question. I, um, more felt like, okay, I did it. (laughs) Um, so not like I've got to get out of here. I was sad to leave, but I was ready. Um, certainly not that I had mastered it. Um, I never felt like I really did this because the amount that I worked and the money that I made, never made up for my expenses. So it wasn't like I was making it and I could have chosen to stay and it would all would have worked. Um, so yeah, I I knew I was only going to be there for the year. Um, I pretty much knew that the whole year and I never really considered staying after that. Um, which actually ended up being a learning for me because I had done the same thing in, in Seattle where I'd said, I'm going to be here for a year or two. And then New York where I said I was going to be there for a year. And I started to have kind of like a short timers view on making friends in a place, investing in anything like, so volunteering with things in those places. I was like, ah, I'm I'm only here for a, a short amount of time. So I'm not going to do that stuff. And I ended up not loving that mentality So when I moved to Denver, I decided I have no idea how long I'm going to be here, but I'm going to act like I'm here. Like I live here and this is where I'm investing and this is where I'm going to make friends and stuff like that. So that was a good learning.
2: Was there anything like, I mean, you're kind of in a city going through a trauma. Yeah. Was there anything to that? Like, did you experience that? I mean, obviously you experienced it in terms of having a hard time getting a job, but maybe maybe you maybe you never got on the inside of that or was it were you aware that this was a city going through trauma
0: yeah it was interesting because i felt i with real new yorkers i felt like an outsider like i wasn't one of them um but then like around tourists i was like oh boy like i was on the side of the new yorkers (laughs) you know like walk faster um but uh you could tell it was a city going through trauma and what was interesting is i lived um I lived on the West Side Highway, but just south of Ground Zero, CFN. I guess he wasn't Mm -hmm. interested. (laughs) Um, Just south of Ground Zero. So my building was a a really old building and had actually been hit when the South Tower fell uh, on 9-11. And so that area, it was so real to me. Ground Zero was just a pit, so they hadn't built out the museum yet. They had the plans for the Freedom Tower, but it was was just a hole. and so I was so aware of the trauma of 9/11. And then right. to be so close to Wall Street in 2008, um, yeah. there were there were like um, bankers who committed suicide in those in those following months when everything was kind of going down. And so you did feel that, mm-hmm. that you could just yeah. feel that it was a tough place to be. Um, right around Wall Street, um, but also that the financial district of New York. So after September 11th, all the banks actually moved to Midtown. So it's still called the financial district, but it's other than Wall Street, it's not the hub wow. of financial activity. So it was really wow. pretty empty down there. So all those, all the banks moved to Midtown. So all those buildings were empty, and they turned them into apartments, which is why it was a little less expensive to live down there. Which is why I ended up there. Um, so it was also pretty empty. And interestingly, the like restaurants weren't open at night because it was only people who lived there. So tourists weren't there at night. So it was really if I came off the subway in the financial district, it was really pretty quiet. Um mm. there. So it just had kind of a kind of an eerie feel.
1: Kind of looking back on there, and please add anything else that is like an important part of that story. Yeah. Like what are some things that you feel like you could have maybe would have done differently? What were some things that like really, really affected how you see and operate now?
0: Yeah, Um, I will say, I've been thinking about New York um, more now that we're in this sort of quarantine season and it feels a little bit similar, like there's all this stuff going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been thinking about, I wish I had taken better advantage of being in New York, like I wished I had spent more time with like, you are here for a year, this is it, this is such an experience, like get out there and do as much as you can. Um, So I spent a lot of time worrying about like, I'm not making enough money, I spent all my savings, so I was trying not to like spend money. Mm -hmm. So I was shy about doing a bunch of things. I wish I hadn't done that. Um, I had enough money to make it. I wish I had just like left New York with with a bouncing check, as they say. but just like taking full advantage of the opportunity um, that I had. I had this idea where my um, sister, I think, had given me this pack of like, it was 52 walks through New York City, and they would give you kind of the path and tell you the history of like what you'd be walking through. And I was like, that would be so cool to do each one of those walks and kind of see what I noticed and what's the difference in all the neighborhoods and stuff and kind of write down what I thought. And then I just never ended up doing it. Like, I just wish I had done more of that stuff. I wish I'd had the courage to just like take advantage of what that season was. I didn't have that kind of, um, attitude about it, but now I wish I had. And so I'm trying to pull that into, okay, the world is shut down. We're all in quarantine. Like, what are the opportunities that I have? So I, I don't have children. I own my house, you know, like I can, I can leave. So what should I be doing so that I don't just survive this period, but that I can like kind of spot the right. opportunities and take advantage of them. So that's been really helpful to think about um, from the learning of what I was disappointed in.
2: I guess I'm actually curious, what was like the mo- most, in, how would you sum it all up? Like what was the most incredible thing about the experience and then any sort of tips you can give us based on that?
0: remember so the the sort of principles i think i walked away from that with one of my favorites is remember the variables so i think there are things that like we can change if we want to they're variable and we act like they're set that that certain things are fixed so i was a little too wrapped around the idea that i needed to be earning the money back that I paid for my apartment. So I spent too much mental energy on that. If I had gotten out of that a little bit more, I think I would have been freed up to take advantage of that um, hmm. a little bit more. Um,
2: what are things in, that tend to be in that category, like your job or what I mean, what are things that we tend to think are fixed but are actually variables?
0: Yeah, all, I mean, all kinds of things. I think people are like, well, if I buy a house, I need to stay there for like six or seven years, which is like, no, you don't. I mean, you can sell a house if you need to. Um, just all the things that we think trap us. Well, like, well, if I have kids, I really like, I wanna keep them in the same school. I hear people say that all the time. I moved when I was 10, my sister was a sophomore in high school. Like we made it through, it made us more resilient. You know, like there just are these things that we kind of let trap us in certain in certain ways that it's okay if that's your decision, but I think we forget that it's a decision we can make um oh. so even like uh you, i could sell my car and take uber everywhere i want to go and maybe oh. it's actually less money you know but people just think yeah. like you have to do the the sort of path that everyone expects yeah. from you and that's the other thing is is not to take too much advice so a lot of people had a lot of different ideas for what i should do instead of move to new york or where I should live. Or if I lived there, I'd live in New Jersey cause it's cheaper. And it was like, no, that's not what I'm going for. Like I want to live in the heart of the city and only be there for a year. Right. Um, and I really did know that. Um, so I was glad that I stuck to it. I don't know how I knew to do that, but, um, I'm glad I did. And I think other people have different ideas of what they would want. And they give you advice based on that. So not taking too much advice, but just owning what you're trying to do. And so that, that's what I think I forgot a little bit. I was there for an experience. I was there for like understanding a whole new thing. Um, and I forgot that when I started getting stressed about like everyone's gonna think it's irresponsible that I'm not earning that money back that I had saved rather than just being like cool thing that I saved it when I was a teenager and now I have this opportunity. there's more time to make money in the future um so I wished I had just kind of remembered that better
2: those are good tips I wrote down spot the opportunities remember the variables don't take too much advice and own what you're trying to do
4: yeah the whole advice
2: on
1: well your your well your regrets on spending so much mental energy on the money part that definitely resonates with me too like I've been on some trips and traveled and I just remember like thinking like, well okay I can't spend ten dollars at this place I can only spend six otherwise I won't have enough and it's just like you know like just just enjoy where you're there especially when you're young and it's like you don't have any money anyway so yeah <laughs> you're, you're pretty broke <laughs> as it is so you know just be a little bit more broke
0: and you will make more money when you're older yeah. like when you have more experience you'll make more money and now I'm like oh I would write a check all day to 25 year old me to like do some more cool things. And I was instead thinking I needed to be responsible and like save money for future me, which is like, no, not when you're like doing a cool thing, you're not going to do that again. So spend the money there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. thousand dollars that you saved that year. Really Really paid off.
0: Now it's like sitting in the bank has been for 10 years. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm kind of curious, you, the, I'm I'm going to go into like our pre-show here for a second, but I know that you've been thinking about these, this concept of like experience self and narrative self, which in my mind ties into like th- this New York experience feels to me like it plays into this, you know, what you're, here you are, you know, 15 years later or whatever, um, sort of framing up your life and how to take risks and how to make, you know, controlled decisions as well. And you were kind of sharing that, and I, I'd like it. I guess I'm curious for you to unpack that, and if I, if that's accurate, that that's sort of a, a per- current framework that this sort of fits into.
0: Yeah. Um, so I heard on um, my favorite podcast, Armchair Expert. Um, a,
2: second favorite podcast. After the Jake test.
0: I haven't experienced this one yet, so we'll see. Um, but. <laughs> Zax was interviewing, interviewing Yuval Harari who talks about the experiential self and the narrative self. And that felt such like a helpful framework for me and how I kind of think about things. So right now, um, I'll talk about how it applies now and then, and try to apply it back to New York. Although I haven't kind of thought about that comparison. Um, right now, so I'm 37 employed, own a house and my life is really like simple and good. <laughs> um, but so my experiential self is really satisfied. I wake up um, in a day and I can choose what to do with that day. It's all about me. It's what I feel like for that day. I can make it good. Um, so my experiential self is satisfied, but my narrative self, which is like the part of me that's writing the story of my life is sort of like, well, is this, is this it is, do I want my life just to be about, I was happy every day. Hmm. Um, so I'm feeling a little bit of dissatisfaction in the, in the narrative self, but I have a lot of friends who have little kids at home and their experiential self, like it's tough. So their day is not about them at all, Jake and Finn, you guys are experiencing this right now, but you, you, you kind of live your lives for other people right now. So your, your days aren't about you. So your experiential self is suffering right now, but for the sake of your narrative self. So you know that in your life, you wanted to be fathers. You wanted to have children. You know, that kind of the arc of that is in the positive, even if parts of it are really hard. Um, and so I'm, I'm going into, um, hopefully soon, start fostering kids. And what's been really helpful for me to think about is I'm sacrificing my experiential experience Mm. for the narrative. So my day-to-day internal conversation is it'll be a lot harder, but I won't have the nagging angst of like, is this really all I want my life to be about? Because I know I'll be doing something that I feel like is important. So That's how that framework has been helping me recently. um Ryan, do you see a parallel to New York?
2: Well, I was feeling like when you it, when you think about a life like uh, you know some of the things we unpacked here was after you laid that, plopped down your life savings for a year in New York, there's a bit of a um experiential stressor there mm-hmm. that's like now i'm now all the security that I had is gone um you know, I can't find a job. I, you know, the finding a job is terrifying, terrifying in the daily steps. But then when you, you know, so fast forward 15 years and look back on it and you go, man, I am freaking awesome. I took a whole year to move to New York and I did it at the hardest time possible. And I spent my entire life savings and I'm the type of person who does crap like that. How awesome is that? Yeah. And so I think that's in my mind, it's a little bit like, these passion projects in general potentially have this exact tension in them, which is your experiential sh- experiential self actually goes into it thinking that I'm going to feel alive right. in this passion project. And what potentially plays out is actually that the way I've thought about this is I get stuck sometimes helping others with their project instead of tackling my own project. And what I think happens there is my experiential self, I'm using, I'm like, I'm, I'm practicing your words. So I haven't, you know, necessarily adopted these words before, but, um, my experiential self is getting immediate gratification from some helping someone else and them going, wow, thank you for helping me Mm -hmm. or them paying me, right? That thank you could be verbal that pit that thank you could be paying me a salary or whatever. Whereas, digging into my own passion project is actually just a series of work to get it started Is a series of work without payoff for a narrative self potentially. That's more of, I want to be the type of person that does passion projects. I want to be the type of person that sets aside the instant gratification or the uh, the urgent to tackle the important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if I, you know, I hear what I imagine is that having that year of New York and all the scary, hard things about it and all of these special things about it in your back pocket is like this confidence component. That's like, I do stuff like this. I can, I can get, you know, scrappy when I need to.
4: Right.
2: And, and even when I take on something that seems to be good, that seems special and then goes South quickly. I can make an amazing experience out of it.
0: Totally. Yeah, definitely. It definitely is a confidence booster in terms of I can throw myself into a really bad experience and get out of it and, and really enjoy it. So I don't need to be so afraid of getting into a bad experience ever again yeah. because it'll all, it'll all be fine. Yeah. And I do think with, you know, they talk about like the millennial generation sort of wanting to be passionate about their work at all times. And it's like, yeah, but a Tuesday really looks like showing up to meetings and responding to emails and making hard decisions that are long-term right decisions. Um, but then looking back, that really does write the narrative that you're looking for. Like you are a trustworthy coworker. You've learned to have high character in the face of like tough decisions. You're someone people can rely on. You've done cool projects and you feel the satisfaction of having moved them forward, but that never feels true every day. So investing in that, even from a career perspective, pays off in the narrative. But definitely I agree with you from a passion project perspective jumping into it even if it's uncomfortable it is helping you write a narrative for your life that you're going to be really proud of and i think that's what came into play with the 50-year-old women who were like shaking mm-hmm. me and saying do it move to new york is because they arrived at a point in their lives where they were like i you know i've made a pleasant life but what what story have i written with it i wished i had done a lot more so i'm really Absolutely. glad to not have those regrets
2: i think it's so fascinating that in july 2008 their advice was amazing. In November, 2008, their advice was the worst advice of all time. And then in, you know, 2020, their advice is amazing. Fact, again.
0: Good. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you can't really take people's advice. You just, you kind of, you know what you're doing. If, if you can remember what you're trying to do and make sure that happens, it's okay if it goes poorly for a while.
3: So I think something we've talked about before is the sort of, donald miller idea of living a good story mm-hmm. and whether it's a thousand miles in a million years or a million years and a thousand miles i do not know the true title of that book but um you know sort of that idea that we're sort of characters in a story and that there there is a there's necessary like tension and and conflict and um you know, any good story is going to have like a dip in it as well as a climax and things that we have to do to get out of our comfort zone. Um, was that something that you were like? Was that an intentional thought going into it, or is that how you think about it afterwards, or or neither? Maybe.
0: That's a good question. I.
3: Because um... it is a great story, and I think you be you know as a character in this uh story you you grew a ton you learned a ton you had great experiences you had awesome six week long guests uh but but I don't know if that was like present for you in that moment or if yeah. it's more like in retrospect you
0: see. yeah I don't think I was trying to write a good story I was just trying to like live a fun life <laughs> um my personality type is just constantly pursuing fun um which I'm really grateful for because it means I often find fun um So I think it was more just like this sounds like a cool experience and this sounds like interesting things will happen to me so one of the things was um, a guy that I was friends with who's now married to one of my best friends had been to New York and he was like yeah we just like ended up going to this club and then this like really incredible musician started playing there and he just like couldn't get over how cool it was and I was like I want to put myself in a situation where incredible things can happen and it sounds like New York's the spot for that um, now it feels like, oh, I'm glad I wrote that kind of story, but I don't, I don't think that was in mind at that point. Yeah.
1: So Tora, we're almost at the time. Um, we like to ask different people just kind of some basic stuff, just like, like, first of all, like what are, you've already mentioned your favorite podcast, right. Armchair Experts. I think it performs about okay. second to this podcast, actually, in terms of popularity um what about books yeah and some other like whether it's something that's been inspiring to you or it just could be a good novel like what are some things that you're just like you know what if you're somebody who likes good yeah. story here's, um, here's my,
0: so my favorite genre right now is people who have lived interesting lives looking back on their lives and saying these are the principles i've learned to be true um so i think jordan peterson probably started that genre with 12 rules for life although i didn't love his version of that as much. Um, But my first book about that was Ray Dalio Principles. Um, So he talks about principles in life and in work. He kind of tells his story and then he tells all of his principles. Um, So that one's really interesting. He's a really like, he looks at his life really mechanically. So it was harder for me to relate to, but fascinating to see that kind of view of it. My favorite book in that genre is Shoe Dog. So, um, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike talks through his whole story. And the friend who recommended that book to me said the last 50 pages are gold, but you have to read the whole book to understand how meaningful the last 50 pages are. And so it's Phil Knight telling the whole story of how Nike like almost didn't happen 7,500 times, but because they got through it, what he learned from it and it, and what he learned from it was all people like he had to finance a company when venture didn't exist and banks just wanted equity and all this stuff. There were all these challenges, but that's not what he ends up with in the end. In the end, he's like, it's the people who were loyal. It's the people who would stick with me in it, um, who served tirelessly. So he just goes through who all those people are. And then another one similar to that is, um, Bob Iger's ride of a lifetime. So he was the, he, he ran Disney for 25 years and did all the acquisitions right. of star Wars and all that stuff.
1: Oh yeah. God. Yeah. A, hero.
0: Guy.
1: a real hero. Is there any like kind of challenge that kind of came about kind of from your perspective on passion projects that you would share um, whether it's like a like a daily routine or a weekly routine or even just like a lifetime um challenge like to do at least once in your life. Does that make sense what I'm asking?
0: Yeah. Um yeah i think i'll go for the daily weekly though uh is the part of it i'll choose to answer um my most successful thing in life has been being really intentional about the people that i am around um so even like you guys are three of my best friends and you're starting a podcast talking about passion projects that means that i'm gonna get challenged on my passion projects all the time and so my closest friends are people who i want to become more like um, and not just like the people who happen to be around me, but being really choosy with who those people are cause they'll challenge you in really interesting directions um, has been the thing that's paid off the most for me.
1: Tori, thank you so much for joining and being a part of this pageant project. Did you just project. call it a pageant? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I just called it. I might have missed books. either way. Thank you for joining. This has been really, again, what I keep saying this. One of the best things about doing this podcast is just having a lot more great conversations with friends. Yeah, so thank you so much for Thanks taking for the time. Thanks, Tor. Great. All right. Yeah. Hit, hit that outro music. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the interesting lives of normal people. If you liked what you heard, we'd really appreciate you giving us a review and a rating and telling your friends. It really helps new people find us. Thanks again to Tori for chatting with us and also thank you to Huga for letting us use her music in this episode. You can find more of her music on SoundCloud.